0: When we say, when we use the term go-giver, we're simply talking about that man or woman who has learned, or perhaps always intuitively knew, that it's that person who can shift their focus, who can move from what we might call an I-focus or a me-focus, to an other-focus. Always looking for ways to give value or provide value for others, that's the person who succeeds.
1: Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Bob Berg. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with one or more of Bob's books, like The Go-Giver, Endless Referrals, The Art of Persuasion, Adversaries into Allies. If any of those titles interest you, rest assured, we're going to touch on all of those topics. Bob is an internationally recognized speaker, and you're in for a treat with this one. Here now is our conversation with Bob Berg on today's Eternal Leadership.
2: All right, Steve. Today on Eternal Leadership, we have Bob Berg, and as you know, uh, on the podcast, a huge theme lately is not only servant leadership, but just how to be more effective in every single thing that we do. You know, and and there's something that that Bob does and explains just in such a powerful way. You know, are, are there ways to just make subtle shifts in our life? Just manifest themselves in just huge differences, huge results, you know, as we go through it and focus on the goals that we want to accomplish. And so today we have Bob Berg on. He's the author of Go Giver, Go Givers Sell More, and he has a new book out: Adversaries and the Allies. And Bob is just a world-renowned leadership and sales expert, coach, teacher, uh, public speaker to just giant audiences. But Bob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm honored. I appreciate being with both of you. <laughs> awesome. know, Bob, before we get started, I always love to have you just dive in and share a little bit about yourself and have the audience get to know you before we get into some of this great teaching here.
0: Well, let's see. I was totally blessed to be brought up by two wonderful, amazing parents. And I uh, still have them to this day. I live five miles down the road uh, from them. So very extremely blessed. And cool. uh, started out as a career as a broadcaster, actually began in radio. And then I was I was the uh, late night news anchor of a very small ABC affiliate in the Midwest. I was probably the worst news anchor you've ever, ever seen. Uh, I, could re- I could read the news. That was easy. I could read the news, but I was 24 years old. I was a kid. I was not into journalism itself. I had no idea of the news and it, it didn't care. Um, now, I think I was also intuitively a little bit too positive for the medium. I mean, my idea of a good newscast opening would have been to say something like, in the news tonight, everything's great. You know, go to bed. We'll let you know something comes up. And <laughs> it wasn't long. It didn't before, play well, did it? it didn't no it didn't play well, no. <laughs> and it wasn't long before I was out of news and into sales. I like to say I graduated into sales. Now, the issue with that is that I knew nothing about sales. And so I floundered for the first few months and then I went into a bookstore one day. And this is back in, the, now this is 35 years ago maybe, this is back in the day when the major feature in a bookstore was books. And I, I saw a, a book in the business uh, department called um, How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. And even the title gave me hope because I said, wow, there's an art? to this. It's not just knocking on doors, talking to people, telling them all about your product or service and about, you know all the things I was doing wrong. And uh, so I got the book. I absolutely studied it. And my sales in, you know, within a few weeks started to go through the roof. Now, the interesting thing is there was only one difference between where I was when I first first picked up the book and where I was three weeks later. I had a system and, you know, I define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. The key... Being predictability. If something's been, if it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the the results of B, then all you need to do is be willing to continue to do A, and eventually you'll get the results of of B. And I think that's key in his um, his series, uh, the E myth, uh, Michael Gerber, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here slightly, so please pardon me. Uh, but it was systems permit ordinary people to achieve extraordinary results predictably. And so I think it's important to to not try and reinvent wheels, but instead follow what's been out there. Now, I've got to tell you, at about the same time I was studying Tom Hopkins, I came across a man by the name of Zig Ziglar. <laughs> and I read his books. And I, I, I went to his seminars. And I listened to his, back then it was cassette tape albums, not even CDs.
2: I remember and, those days, Bob.
0: And, yeah, and, you know, between those two, Oh my goodness! What an education I got, and and it, and it was really a wonderful thing. And later on, I, I, you know, ha, have gotten to to be on stage with both of them, but got to to kind of get to know Zig a little bit more, along with his great son, his proud son Tom, and his family. As and, and, and of course, we lost Zig a couple of years ago. But what a, what a remarkable, remarkable man, and and certainly has left a terrific legacy.
2: So you know, Bob, when you're sharing what I'm hearing, though is you took this information and you turned it actually into a process that worked for you. And it's really about the application of information. So how did you take that leap from actually saying, well, this is a great idea, but this is a great idea for me and I'm gonna apply it?
0: Well, I I think that's a wonderful question because it also um, sort of goes into another one. And that is how do you apply someone's information and yet stay authentically yourself? Because sometimes, uh, you know, the, there's a there's an old saying from the from the Talmud, from the sages, and that uh, the saying it was in the form of a question: Who is a wise person? And the answer is that person who learns from all others. Now, what happens is we can learn from all people. Jim Rohn used to say, I used to love this. Jim Rohn used to say, we can learn from everyone. From some people, you learn what to do. And from others, you learn what not to do. <laughs> now, so we can learn from everyone. But the key is to, is to be ourselves, uh, to adapt, not adopt. Adapt their wisdom into our lives, but don't try to be that person. You know, see, I could get up there on stage uh, and, and I could say something like, you know, uh, and so I was saying to the redhead uh, that, uh, you know, somebody asked today, they said, Zig, money isn't everything. And I said, well, that's true. But you know what? Sometimes it ranks right up there uh, with oxygen. Uh, but see, if I say that, I'm imitating Zig Ziglar. Okay. Right. That's not being me. And I'm not that good. I can't get away <laughs> with that. And the fact is, most people can't get away with being anyone but themselves, and so I think what we do is we learn from others, we apply the information, but we make sure we learn from others, also whose whose not style—that's not the right word—but whose um, character, in a sense, is congruent with ours.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, as you talk about putting that into practice, and I, I just think of this. One of the first books one of my mentors gave me, it was a book called The Go-Getter. And oh, yeah, a, by Peter Kine. Fantastic Wonderful. book. Wonderful. In, in The Blue Vase. And I've talked about The mm-hmm. Blue Vase. People need to go read that book, yeah. figure yeah. out what The Blue Vase is. And I've talked about that with my children. But, you know, in your book, The Go-Giver, uh, you're taking – it's a very different take on kind of that traditional wisdom. And I'd love to talk about the premise of your book and where that came from, sure. Bob.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. And by the way, Peter Kine's book, The Go-Getter, I read 20 years ago. It's one of my favorites. It has a spot right on my my shelf, and I I love it. Um, First of all, the premise of The Go-Giver is simply that shifting one's focus, and this is the key, shifting one's focus from getting to giving. And in this context, when we say giving, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others and that doing so is not only a nice way to live life, but a very financially profitable way as well. It aligns perfectly with free market economics in which people are gonna do business with you not because you have a quota to meet or not because you need the money, they're gonna do business with you because they feel they are receiving more in value or use value than what they're paying. That's why, as, as one of my, my heroes, Harry Brown used to say, in any free market-based exchange, there are always two profits. The buyer makes a profit and the seller makes a profit. That's why in a free market, where, of course, you know, government has the legitimate function of protecting its citizenry from force and fraud, but to otherwise stay out of everyone's way and sort of allow people to freely exchange value for value with one another. That's why economies grow and they always have to the degree that the market is left free to benefit one another. OK. Uh, and so that's really the premise of the book. Now, we say uh well, what about the go you know the title the go giver and and when John and I and by the way, John David Mann is my co author and he 's really the storyteller he 's the guy you know i 'm a how to step by you know one two three right John is a magnificent storyteller, so I owe so much of the success to john 's uh, wonderful writing. Um, So people say, well, so are you and John saying being a go-getter is a bad thing now? Oh, absolutely not. Being a go-getter is a terrific thing, a wonderful thing. Why? Because go-getters take action. Uh, You know, John and Steve and everyone listening to this, we're all business people. And we all know that we can have the nicest thoughts uh, the best, int- the greatest of intention, right? Yeah. But without action being put into the mix, nothing's going to happen. It simply cannot happen. Um, and so, fortunately, so we love go getters. Now, fortunately, the good news is that um, there's no there's no natural division between a go getter and a go giver. Many go getters are also go givers, and I would say that every go giver is also a go getter. The opposite of a go giver is a go taker, and that's the person who feels almost entitled, if you will, to take, take, take without having added value to the person to the process, to the situation, and we all know people like this, and they can be good people, but they tend to be very frustrated because they, they don't seem to attain the kind of success they feel they deserve, and and even those times they do, because they do sometimes, it tends to not last long because it hasn't built, been built on a proper foundation. And so when we say, when we use the term go giver, we're simply talking about that man or woman who has learned, or perhaps always intuitively knew, that it's that person who can shift their focus, who can move from what we might call an I focus or a me focus to an other focus, always looking for ways to give value or provide value for others. That's the person who succeeds.
2: You know, somebody's in a traditional maybe leadership model, you know, this leader follower model and you're moving toward I want to be more of an authentic leader, a servant leader. What are some examples of adding value, whether it's to somebody, you know, my peer group, the people that work for me, or even in the sales process?
0: Well, oh well, you, you can take you can take both of them, um individual, let's say the sales process first, but then let's also go back to the, to, to leadership, um, you know, on a, with any product or service, there's two types of value. There's the intrinsic value of the product or service itself. And then there's the additional value. And let me explain it this way. If I, if I may, the law of value, law, number one, says give more in value than you take in payment. Now, this sounds a bit very counterproductive, maybe it sounds, when you first hear it. How do you give more in value than you take in payment and still make a profit? I mean, how do you stay in business? How do you thrive? Never mind survive. It sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy.
2: Yeah. So how do you do that, Bob?
0: Right. Well, the first thing we need to do is understand the difference between price and value. See, price is a dollar amount. It's a dollar figure. It's finite. It is what it is. Value on the other hand is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, opportunity, idea that brings so much worth or value to someone that they'll willingly exchange their money for it and be ecstatic that they did while you make a very healthy profit. May I give you a quick example? Yes. Uh, Let's say you hire an accountant to uh, do your taxes. This accountant charges you, and we'll name a round figure, $1,000. That's his fee, or literally his price, $1,000. But what does he give you in exchange? What value does he give in exchange? Well, first, through his years of study, his his Continuing to keep up with, with the, the, through his willingness to listen to you and, and find out what you're looking to accomplish, learning your business, the time he puts into it. He's able to save you $5,000 in taxes. He also saves you countless hours of time, freeing you up to do what's more productive for you or what you'd rather be doing. And he also provides you and your family with the security and peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So first, we see that while price is finite, right? uh, value is both Concrete in terms of the $5,000, you can see. And it's also conceptual in terms of the peace of mind, which probably holds more value than even the money saved. So he gave you more in use value than what he took in cash value. So he feels great about it. And so do you. You both profited. Now, This happens only because his focus was in the right place. His focus was on providing value to you. His focus wasn't on the fee. This is why we say that that money is an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning, which simply means that the value must come first. The money you receive is simply a very natural and direct result of the value You've provided. Now we take this to leadership and we say, you know, let's look at the leader who is very focused on bringing value to those he or she serves they're looking not just to have a bunch of followers who are going to be lackeys who do what they say they're looking to empower people they're looking to tap into the 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 the, the qualities that those people have they get to know the leaders under them so that they can uh, you know develop other great leaders john maxwell spoke so excellently about that and so do many other wonderful leadership speakers and you know you, you, you even take a look let you go back to uh, a, a company that's so noted for this. You go back to Southwest Airlines. And by the way, one of my good friends, Joe Calloway, who's a terrific speaker, mm-hmm. and he, he's written books becoming a category of one and do, do be the best at what matters most. He, he, in his last book, he had this great thing. He said, people complain that so many speakers get up there. And as a, as a great example of a business that does it right, they use Southwest Airlines, you know, Apple, and um, uh, what's the other one, you know, with uh, Tony Shea uh, Zappos. He said, "Yeah, they use those examples, and they'll use those examples as long as those are good examples." <laughs> Just be, you know, and if you look at a, a Southwest Airlines whose focus was on empowering their own employees. You, you look at Southwest Air. Yes, their end uh, their end client was the customer, and they had they held taking care of the customer in very high value but they also knew their focus needed to be on their employees and they took care of their employees knowing that then the employees would feel good about themselves and their company and they would take care of the the customers. What's interesting, at the last, we used to hold uh, year long events, uh, not year long events, Every year we held a a three day event in uh, Florida. Uh, one year actually we had John Maxwell, and he was wonderful, of course. Uh, the last uh, the last year we had Colleen Barrett, who was the president and CEO emeritus of uh, of Southwest, and and uh, so as she was doing the program, Herb Kelleher was in town, so he came to her program, and and Herb and Colleen stayed the entire day. They couldn't have been any more kind and gracious. They were exactly who who they were when, uh, you know, when they're leading their team and in front of the media. These are people who were so congruent. So, and you saw, you could see exactly why they were such wonderful leaders. Their focus was on other people and making people feel genuinely good about themselves.
2: Well, Bob, you know, the focus that Herb had, which was so counter- intuitive to his investors was i want to have stakeholder value instead of shareholder value yes it's my employees that are the stakeholders and if i serve my employees enrich their lives let them know why they're here uh and just so into the people that are part of this company everything is going to work out and that was his mindset though from when he started it it's a lot of people like to look at it cuz it's been a huge success you know in hindsight looking at this giant company but that was his mindset going in exactly what you're talking about
0: one wonderful point it's so easy for people to to see something afterwards oh well now they're successful now they can do that no that's how they got successful
2: you know you know as you're talking there's something in your book that really resonated with me it's you can't make a sale you know, <laughs> i run a lot of sales organizations and this was counterproductive but Uh, Instead of sharing my experience, I'd love to hear your take on that comment that's in your book.
0: Here's why we say this, (laughs) that you can't make a sale. Because literally in a free market-based economy where, in other words, no one's forced to buy from you, you can't make a sale because you literally can't make anyone do anything they don't want to do what you can do is you can create the proper environment where that person knows, likes, and trusts you, they respect you, they understand you of their best interests at heart, and you have been able to match the benefit of your product or service with their wants, needs, and desires, and they choose to buy. You can't make the sale, but you can create the environment where another person chooses to buy, and you're there to receive the sale. Now, someone might say, well, isn't that just semantics? And my answer is, yes, it is semantics. <laughs> but sometimes semantics are important, not only in what we tell others about what we do, but in what we tell ourselves about what we do. Because if someone believes their job is to go out there and make the sale, then it's all about them. If they believe their job is to go out and create the environment where that person willingly buys because they know it's in their best interest to do so, then it's all about them, the other person. And that's exactly where the focus should be.
1: Hey, hey Bob, I've got a question for you. You, you said early on that you're naturally a very optimistic person. <laughs> How do you coach people who are not necessarily that way, that, that optimistic? How do you coach them to to be a little more optimistic and to give what what sorts of how do you do that?
0: Well, and and first of all, while I am, I think, by nature, an optimistic person. Believe me, I have my doubts at times as well. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's a great question. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, Bob, the the go giver and the five laws and focusing on others. You know, it sounds good, but, you know. Is, would that work in the real world? And here's the thing, it, it absolutely does work in the real world. And so, uh, and there are plenty of examples we can find. Basically, take a look at any company that's been sustainably profitable, and you'll find a company that has to apply these laws. Uh, and say, and we haven't really gone through the laws, which we certainly can, but, but absolutely every one of those five laws must be applied in order for a company to be sustainably, the key sustainably successful and profitable. So I can show anyone that. And then it's a matter of, you know, asking them in a kind tactful way, not in a way that makes them defensive, but asking how, what they're doing right now, if they're not being congruent with those laws, how their business is, is working right now. How's their business working for them right now? Are you where, you want to be? And now if the answer is yes, well, then they obviously don't feel there's a challenge or an issue and they're going to, they'll keep doing what they're doing and hopefully they'll be very successful. If they do feel uh, that yes they 're open to this then now now you 've got some place to go, but I think a person has to be open to to an idea to the idea, and sometimes that comes about because you 're not happy where you are now, and uh other times it comes about because you 're always listening, trying to learn you 're all you know when when the book first came out and, and the book and well came out to uh i guess it 's been out seven years now uh it's, it's just uh, about, well, about to hit the 500,000 sold mark. And the first, oh, thank you. The first group of people who adapted this were the people who didn't need to. There were a lot of people who wrote to us that they were already you know, they were large corporate leaders or they were, you know, entrepreneurs that were very successful or they were the highest producing this. and that. I, You know, they were doing it this way. This is nothing that John and I made up. You know, when I first was doing media interviews on the book and the host would sort of, you know, uh, look at, you know, say, well, so, you know, Berg, what is it about this uh, this this book that you and this guy, John Mann, have written? That's anything different. That's anything. No, they'd say that's anything new. And I'd say nothing. I mean, universal laws, you know, laws have been around since they've been around, you know.
2: Uh, And so... uh, Can I give you an observation on that, Bob? Oh, sure, of course. You know, you talked about earlier, you, you read the Tom Hopkins book, you were already in sales, but what you did is you took the learning in that book... And you integrated that into your process, into your life, how you did things. I think what's different is you've taken a lot of things that make sense as you read them. And I'd love to go through these these five laws of stratospheric success next. <laughs> but talk about it. You know, how did you maybe go through the laws and then talk to people about how they apply that and integrate that into the processes that they have now? And it does not surprise me at all that high performers. Adopted this first because there's a reason they're high performing. Right. Because exactly. they're always looking at great ideas and how to refine the process that they already have and make it better. Yeah. Yeah, I think all John and I did is
0: really codify those things that that were were that have worked. I mean, in uh, you know, Kahlilis uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, "There's nothing new under the sun." I mean, you know, these principles have been around for a long, 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 long time. So, <laughs> um, so, but we took these five laws—the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity—and simply put them in a story form. In which people could relate to it. And so we'd have these, uh, you know, really successful people that this is what I've been trying to tell, you know, the people. But you know how it is, also, right? Probably also from the time of Solomon, uh, you know, kids don't listen to their parents like they listen to the next door neighbor. And somebody doesn't uh, employees don't listen to their leader like they do to somebody else who's not their leader. And so I think that's, you know, that that's really what it was. And that's why the book started going through the organizations and then so forth and so on. Um, But so how do people apply them? Well, you look at uh, I I don't know if you've ever read the the wonderful book by Dave Ramsey, uh, Entree Leadership. Yeah, Uh, it was such a wonderful book. He told a great story about how someone added value in a way that totally to me. Takes the low, and I'm sure he had never read this person had never read the Go Giver, but it was just he did this naturally. He was working for Dave, and Dave tells a story that this person needed to make some some money to to get it debt free to pay off his debt. Um, and so we took a job delivering pizza at night. And what he did was he found out first of all exactly how many pizzas he could transport at a time with the pizza remaining hot and still being able to get there on a timely basis and uh, so forth. And then he he figured out exactly how to position the car so people could see him walking in, so that they would greet him at the door, so he could kind of make a production out of it. He had treats for the dog. And, you know, he did this in such a beautiful way, his tips went through the roof. Absolutely. It was astounding what he did. So that's just one way of of providing that being that extra value. We talk about that, uh you know, the the intrinsic qual- uh, value of the pizza, sure, uh, or the intrinsic value of accounting services, or the intrinsic value of someone selling graphic design. But there's also ways to a- apply. This added value, as a in terms of the go giver uh, methodology, when you think of five, and it, there are probably hundreds of ways to communicate value, but they tend to come under these five uh, excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And when you're able to communicate those, uh, all five of them, hopefully, but but, you know, when you're able to do that, you've really gone a long way, not just toward being valuable, but communicating that value. When you're the person who can communicate this extra value, you never have to worry about your product or service being a commodity. Most products and services are commodities these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology is leveled off the playing field. Uh, I was talking with a, a good friend of mine, Bruce Turkel, who's a, a branding expert, and he's about my age. I'm 57. I, I think he's about 55. And we were talking about when we were kids, uh, you know, you got a t- the family got a TV, but not all TVs were the same. I mean, some worked, some did, didn't. You had three channels, and then I think UHF and VHF. I remember many times being the antenna. You know, the rabbit ears and the one leg high in the air and the other trying to tilt over it. Right. And so nowadays you buy a TV, it's a TV. It works. Most things work. So what happens is unless you're able to be that additional value, you end up having to compete on price. And that's a a very dangerous game because nobody wins when you compete on price, including by the way, the uh, buyer, because if they're paying uh, too low a price and you don't have the profit margin, you can't service that sale or maybe even stay in business long enough. So nobody wins. But what happens is when you sell on, when you try, let's put it this way, unless your last name is Walmart, selling on low, making low price, your unique value proposition is not a good idea. It's neither unique, there's no value and it's hardly a proposition. So what you want to do is understand that if you sell on low if you sell on price, you're a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource. And so since most products are basically the same, When you're that person who has excellence in what he or she does, and that has to do with knowing your product or service, it also has to do these days with understanding your customer's business, not just your own. But excellence also has to do with the way you know, the, the people at your company answer the phone. Do they, do they answer it after the second ring, before the third? Do they greet people and make people feel welcome? Do they say, rather than saying, um, uh, you know, you're welcome, do they say, my pleasure? Uh, you know, like Chick-fil-A does, and like the, 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 the Ritz Carlton does. And so, um, you know, all these things are excellence Consistency, well, we live in an inconsistent world, and yet consistency is a highly treasured trait by people so when you combine the two right there that's great value attention attention to detail you know there was a book written years ago uh by uh, a series of books by dr uh, richard carlson called don't sweat the small stuff now in the context he wrote it he, that it was true in other words you know oh gee my hot dog bun is split at the bottom and the mustard's running out yeah that's a you know don't sweat that that's not a big deal okay that's what we call a first world problem uh, but you know what? Harvey McKay wrote a book called Swim with the Sharks without being eaten alive and many other bestsellers. And what Harvey McKay says is those who sweat the small stuff get the business. And most notably in in, in, in um, Swim with the Sharks, he had something he called the McKay 66. And this was back before the Internet. Um, and the McKay 66 was simply a list of questions about your prospect that – Help you get to know them on a personal basis. Now, Harvey McKay sold envelopes. Talk about a commodity. There's only so much you can do with an envelope that another person can't do with an envelope. But because of this McKay 66 and the immense amount of relationship building that that went on, uh, and then again, we go back to, you know, the law of influence in The Go-Giver, which says, uh, well, the underlying law within the law of influence is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. That's how people were. So so this McKay, this sweating the small stuff is what made them so ultra successful.
2: You know, it's such an interesting point. You, you know, you hear it all the time, people do business with those they know, like, and trust. But how many times have we actually stepped back and said, do we have a process? Do we have a mindset that allows us to actually develop a relationship develop. where people actually like us and they trust right. us because I'm mm-hmm. serving them, adding value? Do they, do they know me and do I really have a sincere desire to know them? Those, that's, Those 66 questions you talked about. Somebody gave me that early on in my career, and I always reviewed that before I went into a meeting and say, okay, what's two or three things on here I don't know that I can find out today that will just bring our relationship to the next level? But uh, that is such a great point because you you get what you focus on, and people are not focused on really bringing that as part of their process. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Oh, well, I agree. Absolutely. And, you know, I think people know when you're focused on them or when you're focused on yourself. I think they know when you're focused on bringing them value through your product or service or if you're focused on the commission. Some people can hide it and some people hide it very well. Let's face it. You know, there's a lot of people in the world and some people can, can do that. But you know what? It tends to, tends to catch up to them. And it, and most, most people aren't that good at that. <laughs> it's just much better business to truly and genuinely and authentically be focused on providing value to others. When you do that and you do that with enough people, which is what the law of compensation is about. Then, uh, you know, in the law of compensation says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. When you can touch the lives of a lot of people, impact the lives of many with your exceptional value. Wow. You know, now you're in a a very
1: good position. Bob, as you're speaking, I'm remembering a book that I read uh, probably about a year ago, Adam Grant's Give and Take. Are you familiar with that?
0: Oh, yeah. Adam's a good friend of mine now. And uh, in fact, on my blog at Berg.com, I did an interview with Adam when his book first came out. And, you know, Adam's book was absolutely fantastic. And he is a great, great guy. One of my favorite stories in his book was there was a uh, there was a study done on and I'm not getting the right word. And I apologize, but a study done on the most successful financial advisors in Australia. They wanted to know what was it about these financial advisors that made them so very profitable, such high, hyper. These were the best of the best, highest producers. What was the determining uh, uh, the the, the determining trait, if you will? Well, they all, of course, the ones who were the top, they all had great uh, financial acumen. That was certainly very important. They all worked very hard and that was also important. But that wasn't the determining factor. The determining factor was that the most profitable salespeople they regularly placed the interests of their clients first, before their own interests and before their company's interests. And as a result, they were the highest producing salespeople.
1: Well, one of the things that Adam talks about in that book is on the spectrum of success, he often found givers, to be at the very top, but also givers right. were at the very bottom. What what have you seen specifically yeah. it, it, that separates the givers that succeed versus the s- givers that don't?
0: I, I get very excited when you ask that question because I think Adam made an absolutely awesome point. And this was one of the first parts of his book. Here's the reason why some givers are not successful because they are the doormats. They're the, and that's not what being a go giver is all about. And uh, so, in other words, when we talk about being a go giver, when we talk about the law of influence, which says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first, we're not talking about being anybody's doormat. We're not talking about being a, a martyr. We're not talking about being self-sacrificial, we're simply uh, t- uh, talking about the fact that when you genuinely place uh, the other person's interests first, that's not only good life, that's good business. But you also have to be willing to receive. There are people who just they give, give, give in a way that that hurts them. OK, and they do this because they get their own payoff from it. And it's typically something very much on the unconscious that says I don't deserve to be successful, mm. I don't deserve. And uh, you know, I'll tell you a great book that I read years ago that really helped me in this area, and I recommend all the time. It's called Psycho Cybernetics. It was written in 1960 by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. Great book. He, yes, and he really gets up to how the mind works and how it's we're really controlled by our unconscious belief systems and our belief systems. And I talk about belief systems as one of the five uh, principles in my book, um, Adversaries into Allies. Understand the classic of belief systems, we all come from our own way of seeing the world based on upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, cultural mores. It, but it's it's it starts when we're really young. And by the time we're little more than toddlers, our basic belief system is pretty much set. So if a person's, uh, you know, beliefs or their truths, their personal truths are, oh, people who, make money are evil or, you know, the people who do this are bad and, and, oh, this is, you know, so yeah, the, the unconscious will rule. It doesn't matter that consciously we might feel, Oh, sure. Well, I'm doing this and, I, and, and, you know, I have a right to be happy and things are good. And I'm adding value so I can receive. And, but if the subconscious says, Oh, no, that's not a good thing. That's what's going to win out. And that's one reason why I believe as a nation, we have got to get back to teaching that the principles of free enterprise mean abundance for the masses, an uptick in living. It means that you've got to know that, you know, everything is is giving and receiving, and you've got to do both. And if you've provided exceptional value to another person and many people, and you've done it with their interest in mind, if you've done this authentically, you've got to know you've earned the right to receive, not the entitlement the right to receive. But we've got to be able to accept that. And to do that, we've got to understand that as human beings, we are worthy
1: of such. Well, Bob, we're out of time. We weren't really able to get into the law of influence, the law of authenticity, the law of receptivity. So I guess listeners are just going to have to buy the book. What better way (laughs) to learn about that than to buy this great book?
0: Well, I'll tell you, they can they can get uh, Chapter 1 of The Go-Giver if they'd like to see if they, they like it first. Uh, they can go to com, and while they're there, there's all sorts of fun things they can connect with if they'd like. And uh, I want to thank the both of you for having me on. This has just been a terrific conversation, and uh, you're both fantastic. Thank you.
2: Well, we appreciate it, Bob. And, you know, as we wrap up, any just one final comment to leave with somebody as they're listening to this, working out, driving in their car that you just like to leave with them? Well,
0: yeah, I remember once a a mentor of mine. uh, Actually, he was what we call a drive-by mentor because as I think back, I'd never met him before, but I still consider him a great mentor. He once said to me, Berg, if you wanna make a lot of money in business, if you wanna make a lot of money in sales, don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. When you hit the target, you'll get a reward. The reward will be money, and you can do with that money whatever you like, but never confuse the two. The money is simply the reward for hitting the target. The target is serving others.
1: If you'd like to learn more about Bob and techniques that he teaches on changing your target to serving others, just go to our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 040. There we'll have links to some of Bob's books like The Go-Giver, Adversaries and Allies, a link to Bob's website where you can contact him to possibly speak at your event. All that and more, eternalleadership.com slash 040. For a fast way to get to those show notes, just click on the link embedded in the description of this MP3. Thank you so much for those of you that have joined us this month of April for our prayer, share, and feedback campaign. At the beginning of the month, I shared that in March, we saw a 41% increase in our downloads and that we were at a critical juncture in the show. We're about to hit that six-month mark, and while we have dreams, this is something that God has laid on our hearts, and we want to take it whichever way he guides. So please continue to join us this month in praying for us, sharing with friends, colleagues, family, and on social media and giving us feedback. This month, both John and myself have had some phone and Skype conversations with listeners, and it's been a real encouragement and really given us some great ideas. You can contact us through Facebook at facebook.com/slash eternal leadership, through Twitter at John Ramstead, at Eternal Leaders, or mine at CoolBeans59, or join our LinkedIn group and there you can interact with John, myself, and a number of our former guests. Special thanks to Justin Jeffrey for his editing and production help on this episode. Next time on Eternal Leadership, Diane Pattison recalls a conversation with Halftime Institute founder, Bob Buford.
3: And I said, well, Bob, let me ask you a few questions. I said, do you know what percent of women are in the workforce today that have children under 18? And he looked at me, he said, "Mm hmm maybe 50%. I said, actually, 71% of women who have children under 18 are in the workforce today and work at least 75% of the time, so 30 hours a week. And I said, Bob, do you know how many families are the woman is the primary breadwinner? It's 40%. And he said, you know what? I don't really get you, (laughs) but... I do understand demographics. Peter Drecker is my mentor and that's what he, he bases a lot of where there's a new unmet need is on demographics. And I think you need to start something for these women.
1: Diane talks about her own halftime journey from C-level executive with two Fortune 500 companies to founding Forward, an organization dedicated to connecting, leading, and supporting women in the workplace to achieve Their God given potential. For John Rampstead, I'm Steve Ryder and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.